Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, your source for helping you dominate and insulate your growing practice through two pillars of success, systems and marketing. And now here's your host, Dr. Peter Bolden. Ladies and gentlemen, today on the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, we have Dick Reed. And today, Dick and I are going to discuss the overhead that he has achieved in his practice. Dick is now retired at... Uh, but practiced for over 30 years outside of Chicago in Naperville, Indiana. Illinois, Pete. Illinois, rather. Indiana, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said Indiana. Uh, Illinois, of course. And um, so you're 60 right now. You retired two years ago, correct, Dick? That's, yes, I'm 60 now. And when I, when I was kind of doing my research on you, I saw that kind of when you were practicing, you went from you were practicing, you went from 28 hours a week and then down to what you just told me before I hit record for this podcast was down to 18 hours a week for the last few years of your practicing. Is that is that accurate? Yes, Peter, that is accurate. That's awesome. That's awesome. Was that what, two and a half days or I mean, what were you doing? Yeah, I worked, I worked two and a half days a week. Um, and uh, oddly enough, not by choice, more and more of my patients were leaving due to uh, PPO requirements or and they were choosing to go with someone in network. And um, I lost patients. Fortunately for me, Peter, I was in a position where I didn't have to care about that anymore. And, and quite honestly, it worked out well because I didn't even want to work more than that anymore. So it all worked well. I still had the same rent, of course, but I, I was I had a, a decent attrition rate due to losing patients through PPOs. I only ever belonged to one, and that was Delta Dental, who was taking over the world, by the way. And and Delta Dental, for, for you younger folks out there, they were paying 100% of my fees once upon a time. Well, Delta Dental has not kept up with the pace of increasing dental fees, you know, which which appreciate anywhere from four to five, six, seven percent annually. And uh, Delta Dental didn't keep up, so at the end, I was taking a pretty good hit on what they were reimbursing at, and and I never, I chose never to belong to a bunch of PPOs. With that said, I I, I did steadily lose business toward the end of my career. And that's good to know. But it, it, but by that time, like you said, it didn't really, it didn't impact you too much because you know that's what you wanted to happen naturally anyway. Yes. But I did also read that you know even though you probably had lost a few patients, that your practice revenues didn't suffer. So you were able to, it sounds like, do do less with more. I'm sorry, do more with less. It, yeah, it, it worked out really well because I was still doing some decent numbers. Uh, even on, I was 18 hours chair side and I was still netting about 340 to 350. So yeah, it, I didn't have to worry about it at that point. But but it all it all stems from setting up the low overhead from really from day one, Peter. So you you were very you know this podcast as you, as you may or may not know is really designed around the systems, well systems and marketing of of a dental practice that helps kind of insulate you know helps helps protect your practice from from ups and downs in the economy, and so obviously you had super tight systems in place to protect, you know, to get to a 43, you know, we didn't even share with, with kind of the listeners really, but you were kind of at 43% overhead. Is that right for the mate for the, for the majority of your, of your practice career. So when I saw that, I was just kind of blown away because, you know, I'm still trying to get into the fifties right now. I'm about at 60, 60.1% and it's tough. It's tough. So I was, I was blown away with, you know, your 43% 
in a mainly fee for service, you know, you like you said, you accepted one plan, but you're mainly you were you had a lot of fee for service, I'm guessing as well. Yes, right. Yeah. So, you know, you're a true you're a true testament to the fact that it's not always how much you produce or how much the practice produces, but how much you can keep of that, right? So that you're spending your time efficiently. I, I had about seventy percent insurance in my practice and, and, and I will tell you this, you know, in school I wasn't a superstar. I, I was I was probably pretty average. Uh, I never wanted to kill myself at work. And to that end, I decided from day one, I wanted to work smart. And my, my position, and this is just my opinion, but I, I, I thought always thought that the overhead game was the holy grail. And to me, it was. And it was the game that I wanted to, to win. I, I played it hard and I played it every day. And I knew my numbers well, and I, I literally played that game every day, but I played it to win. And and when I say I didn't want to work hard, probably 75% of my career, I, I didn't work more than 30 hours a week because I didn't want to. I just never wanted to work that hard. And uh, so I'm not like some folks. I mean, there, there are dentists that, that want to practice till age 70 and, and, and love it. That wasn't me. I wanted to practice to age 55. And and the only reason I had to work longer is because of the stock market crash in 08, 09. And I, like a lot of folks, lost a bunch of money then and it added three more years to my career. So, you know, that's that's kind of where I started from. But the, the overhead game was so important to me. And I, I constantly strove to play that game and and was always watching the numbers. My original goal, Peter, was to be under 50%. And I know you're a fairly young guy, but I'm going to mention some names who were some of my mentors that helped me along that path. I don't know, Peter, if you've ever heard of Rick Kushner? Yeah. Lean and Mean Seminars? Do you, do you just yeah. ring a bell? Yeah, of course. Yes. I would say that four or five guys that were mentors to me, I, I think their names are worth mentioning. I met Rick Kushner at a, at a real young age and, and went to his Lean and Mean seminar. And he said, you know, that it was possible to do 50%. And I believed him at the time. And I thought, hey, I, I can do this. Another another gentleman that I, I saw speak right out of school, and it was one of the most amazing seminars that I ever went to, was Greg Stanley from Whitehall Management. I was kind of a seminar junkie. I also, wow, this is a, this, this is some of you folks will remember Greg Hughes from uh, Sterling Management, and that's a, that's a whole other podcast right there. But I saw Greg Hughes speak when I was 26 years old. But, you know, and I was intrigued. Then I found out that I, mean, I, actually, I actually did some consulting with him. I also spoke with uh, Pete Ackerman, who is uh, the uh, primary person in ADS Midwest. He actually sold my practice. I consulted a lot with Doug Carlson, who wrote for Dentaltown. He's a financial writer for Dentaltown Magazine. And last but certainly not least, I recently, well, toward the end of my business, I consulted with Brian Hufford, who writes for Dental Economics. But sometimes when I consult with people, I ask them, do you read Dental Economics or, or Dental Town? And some of them say no. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys are really, really missing the boat here. I Dental Economics used to be my, that was my religion. Every time I got that magazine, I read it from cover to cover in the first 24 hours. And I learned so much from, from that and, and some of these people that write in there. Uh, I think that those magazines are invaluable, but they give you a lot of clues on what to do, what not to do. And, and I, I really got a lot of valuable information from those folks. You had mentioned Brian Hufford, right? And I think right. that um, he was a, he was probably a big impact on on the fact that you were able to save. I guess he recommends you people save twenty percent 
of their income versus versus most you know recommendations are ten percent. They say are at least ten percent. So obviously that accelerated your timeline exponentially towards your retirement. I'm I'm sure, right? I mean, was yes. that was that something that he impacted on you? You know what? When I read what those guys said, and they said if you if you want to do this then do this. I, I listen. I was all ears. You know, another guy that I listen to all the time, and this is, a, again, a little off the subject, but when, when, when Warren Buffett speaks, I listen. I just felt like, you know, here's people that are much smarter than I am, and I chose to use them as my mentors, Peter, and uh, boy, I mean, they've given me great advice, but you're absolutely right. When, when, when Brian Hufford, he, he absolutely recommends saving 20%. And yes, I did that. And and because of my low overhead, I was able to start doing that at age 35, actually. And I did it for 20. I basically did it for 25 years. And so that I didn't do it for 25. I guess I did it for 23 because uh, I, I did quit at 58. So I 20, 23 years. But I did save 23% or 23% on average for 23 years. But it, it all stems from having a low overhead, which... Again. And not living probably above your means, which is, you know, unfortunately what, what a lot of, um, you know, you see that happening, not not just in, in dentistry, but, you know, kind of people in general living kind of above their means of what they should be buying bigger houses and nicer cars, you know, all that sort of thing. Well, you know, what's funny, Peter, uh, and I, I've read a lot of financial books way back a long time ago, 25 years ago, when I first read the expression, pay yourself first, I didn't know exactly what that meant. And, and I, don't, I don't say I take issue with it, but I think it should be further explained. Paying yourself first means uh, fully funding your profit sharing and 401k or whatever you have in place. If you have a, have a brother-in-law who does quite well, he's an endodontist, and he has a cash balance plan, uh, which used to be known or maybe still is known as the uh, defined benefit plan. I never had that much money to set aside, but I did have the, I had a defined contribution and with a profit sharing plan. A 401k, 401k integrated with Social Security and, and the profit sharing plan. Peter, I went to a seminar years ago. There were only a dozen of us there. And I don't know if you remember the late, great Jim Pride. He has since deceased, did real well in dentistry. Actually, privately, he said he did better in the, uh, he, he owned some uh, wineries out there in California and he did better in that than he did in dentistry. But uh, <laughs> he said in the seminar, something that I'll never forget. He stopped in the middle of the seminar. He said, he said, doctors, do you know how many dentists fully max out their 401k and profit sharing plan every year? What percent? And and I would ask you, Peter, what do you think? People that fully fund their profit sharing and 401k fully, annually. Fully fund, I would say 60%. This was this was, uh, Jim Pride talking now. He said 6%. 6% fully fund. And that's fully it. fund. Fully fund. Oh, my gosh. 6%. And he said, he said in the seminar... I just don't understand that. And I, I raised my hand and I said, I said, doctor, that's because the people don't have the money. to." Pay. Yeah, well, and, and I was going to kind of mention that, you know, sometimes it's at a scarcity thing. It's like, OK, pay a mortgage or or, you know, contribute to your IRA. And you have to you have to kind of, you know, obviously, if it's not there. Well, can't do it. Let me let me ask you a question, Peter, because no one has ever gotten this right yet. And, and I feel strongly about it. Would you conjecture at what is the best way to have lower overhead in dentistry? The single best way 
to have low overhead. The, the, the single contributor to low overhead, meaning, yes. or just like the yeah. single just method? I'll, okay. Yeah, the single contributor to low overhead. And it, it'll su- probably, su- the answer will probably surprise you, is never taking it on in the first place. Oh, okay. Is that meaningful at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's what, here's what I mean by that. I just the toys and the Cerex and the, you know, that, all well, sorts of stuff. It, it, yeah, that it all contributes. I just got off the phone with a gentleman who designs offices and has had several offices listed as offices of the year in Dental Economics magazine. And I, and I will tell you this. What's not to love about these offices? They are absolutely fantastic. They're beautiful. I would love to have one. I just wouldn't want to pay for it. Yeah. So anyway, the reason that my message, Peter, may not be for everyone is is that I had three chairs my whole career. And I'd like to get into a little bit of the meat of what, what people, I think people want to know. I worked out of one chair my whole career. I had hygienist in two other rooms every hour that I worked, every day that I worked. So I was constantly checking two chairs always. But I had, you know, like I said, 900 square feet. So my rent was low and everything else was low. Utilities were low. I had at any given time, probably five employees. Some were part-time. I always had one front desk girl. And during the best part of my career, I was doing about three quarters of a million. I never, ever did 800,000. I got close a couple times, never did that. But I, I was checking two hygiene chairs. And so every hour that I worked, we we were doing hygiene. So we basically had two hygiene hours per week per every hour that I worked. And I think that that's important for people to know. My hygiene always did more than a third of my number. Toward the end of my career, quite honestly, Peter, I will tell anybody, I I got lazy. And toward the end of my career, they were doing like 38, 39% of my production. Just because I got I didn't want to. I bet there were buyers for your practice. I bet there were buyers lined up for your practice with a with a thirty eight percent hygiene. You know what it it took me about three weeks to sell. So <laughs> yeah, that's pretty quick. Yeah, it it went quickly. <laughs> but but my again my practice was eighteen hours, so it was a great starter practice or a great second practice for someone. But that's part of how I got there. My rent was always low. My rent, my uh, lab, and my dental supplies. And, and quite honestly, too, my, my wages were all lower than, than the averages that you see published. Another thing as a, that I... As a, as a benchmark, right? You're saying they're lower well, than what the, what the gurus say. Okay, well, here's what, here's what it should be. Well, you know, and, and, and I have kind of a problem with that, Peter. And I have the greatest respect for Roger Levin. Although mm-hmm. I never consulted with him, I, I always read what he said. And, and he is reporting, I just read this today. Uh, he, had, he put out an article in August of 15, to, uh, you know, a, a year and change ago. And he said that the median overhead for all practices is 74.62% currently. And I'm like, how did that, how does that happen? How did that happen? And I was asking the gentleman who designs offices an hour ago, how did we get from practices that were two chairs in the 70s to now now the he told me the average office has five to six chairs and the average square footage is now currently anywhere from 18 to 1900 square feet to 2500 square feet and that's that's i don't say average i like median is better but the median office has you know it, i read roger levin not too many years ago and he said the average overhead or the median overhead was 63 percent. so i don't know 
how it got from 63 to 74, but, uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely the trajectory has been, has been increasing. And, you know, and I think that technology, you know, like I kind of alluded to earlier, I think people by having forcing in this day and age to buy a little bit more technology or, or trying to you know do nicer build outs, all of those things, I think you were, you were kind of talking about, I think that's what's contributed possibly to the higher overhead. Absolutely. You know, the paradox, however, Peter, is that it, it's becoming increasingly harder and harder to crack those big numbers, you know, because of all the PPOs that are making inroads into our profession in a, in a negative way. I'm sure everybody feels that way. I can't imagine anybody who, who's in love with PPOs, but they have really had a negative impact on what we get reimbursed. So because it's higher and uh, harder and harder to make the numbers, I think all the more reason, and Roger Levin says it, now, now it's important to pay attention to the business part of dentistry. I'm like, when was that not important? You know, I mean, for me right. it was, but now I'm reading article after article that says, well, oh, now you got to really pay attention to the business part of dentistry. I'm like, hello, you can never not do that. And, you know, like I said in my article, if you don't pay attention, you're going to work longer, you're going to save less, and you're going to have a lesser standard of living when you do retire. And, and if, and, you know, again, my message may not be for that guy who never wants to retire. That's okay. I have no problem with that. But if you do, I was not in that camp. Uh, I wanted to retire at 55. So if you do want to retire, you know, by 60, 62, boy, you better be paying attention or you'll never get there. Yeah, to the business side, for sure. And, and you know, like you before you and I were on the phone talking, which some of the listeners didn't hear, but, you know, sometimes people will contend like, you know, I just want to do the dentistry. I'm so busy with the dentistry. I'm doing so much dentistry. I don't have time. You know, my day doesn't allow for me to, to critically analyze my numbers. And, and I know you and I, if we both heard that, we're both in disbelief, but it's, I hear that all the time. And, God bless them doing a bunch of dentistry and all that. But, you know, it's sometimes it's working just getting on the treadmill and, and, and running for the sake of running, not not really getting anywhere. And, and you really have to, uh, you know, focus on your numbers. Was it a daily thing for you, Dick? I mean, you know, yes. daily, weekly? Yes. OK. Peter, me as well. A, it was a game I played every day. Mm -hmm. e everything was meaningful from scheduling to procedures, every part of it, it, like I said, it was a game for me. And yes, it was a daily thing. Absolutely. Did you did you have any systems or software to help you do that, or re really you just um, you just developed your own systems for that? No, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I had a an IT specialist when I did decide to go computerized. I had him analyze a couple of, of systems for me, and and I chose long long time ago. I chose Dentrix. I mean, and I know that I don't know if that. The Eagle Soft from Shine was was like Dentrix or something, but I used Dentrix and I, I was always happy with it. Whenever anybody said, "What do you use?" and I said Dentrix, they're like, "Oh yeah, that's what most people use." So, I mean, mm -hmm. nothing fancy, but uh, the, the well, thing Dentrix was, and Eagle Soft are definitely the king. You know, they're definitely the king of the you know, the mountain, and I think that's what the lion's share of people use. So yeah, you're you're right in line with having you know the best the best and most comprehensive software for sure. So you used your patient management software to analyze your numbers, which I know sounds like a well, duh, of course I did. I was wondering if you had any, you know, like there's different different secondary softwares out there that can actually tap into your back end, like Seekasoft or Dental Intel or something like that, that help you analyze the numbers. No, I no, yeah. quite honestly. Well, that's Peter, good. You don't I, need I, that. 
it, no, but it's you just, don't. No, you don't. You, all you all you really need at the end of the day is your Schedule C, and if you know that, like the back of your hand, the thing the thing that I take issue with that 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 kind of burns me, and and I, I referred to it earlier, but I didn't fully answer that. Was that dentists have read and still read today where overhead for General Dennis runs between 60, let's say 63 to now they're saying in the 70s. And and so when you read that all the time, you come to think, well, th- that's what it should be. And, and I'm saying absolutely not. <laughs> I, I always have taken issue with that. But, you know, when, when you read article after article, Peter, that says this is where this is where the the overhead is. And, and it's because I think that I think that the, the average dentist out there just spends money until they hit 66 percent and they go, OK, well, I guess I'm there now. Because it was in the bandwidth of what they said they could spend. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. So, yeah, that. So as opposed to continually striving to go from kind of like you did, you set out very purposely, you know, after hearing someone and said, hey, you, need, you can be in the 50s. And not only did you get 50, but you continually drove that number down to 43, where it well, made practicing know, just enjoyable for you, I'm sure. You're right. And you, you know, know what? Keeping 57 cents on the dollar, it's that, you know, practicing becomes a whole lot different. It, it truly does, Peter. It truly does. When, when people were dying out there, when, you know. Uh, Roger Levin says that salaries peaked in 2005, and he said that ever since 2008 and 9, when the crash occurred, that incomes had gone down, and and mine included. My income dropped uh, just like everyone else's after the what they call the Great Recession. From 2009 until 2014, my practice dropped just like everyone else's. And mm-hmm. fortunately for me, I literally didn't have to care anymore. I'm already close enough to my number and I was still had a healthy net and was still saving money. But I was just fortunate because I had already had the systems of low overhead in place. And you had asked me a couple questions, uh, which I took some notes on. It actually, my, my, my overhead was never more than 50%. But once I, once I started going over the 700,000 Mark, I got well below fifty percent. I got into the low forties and and stayed there. And one thing that people were going to really want to know what my expenses for years and years, my expenses, Peter, and were were around two hundred thirty thousand a year. Okay, in total, that's what my expenses were. Okay, uh, yeah, that's wow. So which is, which is low? Absolutely. I mean that it's that's crazy. I'm I'm trying to wrap my head ar- around that. All right. So let's let's get some kind of some some tangibles or some action items for people. Like let's assume you had a buddy. You know, I'm asking for a friend. Right. Who's <laughs> was, was hovering around seventy percent overhead? What would your advice and first steps be for them? And I'm kidding. I'm not at 70%. I told you earlier, I'm, I'm right at the 60 mark. But let's assume, let's assume you had a buddy who was at the national average or of what were, or the high end of what you've been told. What would you say, hey, pal, here's what you need to do tomorrow? Well, okay. Yeah, I've got, I've got some things you can do tomorrow and some things you can think about. But I wrote, I wrote a list of things that I call cut the fat, Peter, which is what you, you referred to in the questions. Uh mm-hmm. And this is the one I like the most because everybody in the whole country can do this. And we did it more toward, I will say this, more toward the end of my career, but we did it every day. I trained my front office 
manager. I don't, by the way, I only had one front desk person. In my humble opinion, you don't need more than one unless you're doing a million dollars or more a year. I had one girl. Did she work hard? Did she work well? Did she work smart for me? Yes. I trained her to do that way. But here's what, here's what we did. I would routinely go up to the front desk and see holes in my schedule, Peter, and say, and say, uh, I'll call her Connie, not her real name. Say, Connie, we need to move these people. And we, every day she moved people for me. And I would say our patients loved us because we loved them first. And when your patients love you, you can get away with a lot. And I mean that mm-hmm. sincerely. And we got away with it because we'd call people and say, hey, you know what? We Our schedule kind of fell apart and we don't or for, let's say, a, a 12 o'clock. Can you come in at 3 o'clock instead of 12 o'clock? Or we'd offer them 3 or at the end of the day, 6 or something like that. we say, could you, could you possibly, our schedule fall apart? Could you help us out and move? And nine times out of 10, they would move for us. So what did I do? I'll tell you what I did. I became unpopular with my hygienists. They won't like that because you're not paying them their $40 an hour to sit and do nothing or to sharpen instruments. They won't like it, Peter, but they will They will respect it. They understand. And, and you know what I tell them? I used to tell them, okay, when I'd sit with them privately, I'd say, this type of thing and this type of business implementation helps me to fully fund my pension. And I fully funded my pension for 23 years. And so th- nothing else need to be said. I mean, these, these people were getting profit sharing and 401k contributions every year. Anybody that ever worked for me got that. And that's a that's a pretty good perk. At the end of the day, I, I had two employees that were with me twenty plus years. So, you know, if you stick around and you vest and 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 you you got a lot of money there when you leave. But that that's the single biggest perk that I ever had. But we we move people every day. Again, secondly, I had one front desk person versus I don't know two or more. I always had hygienists producing more than a third of my total gross. And when when I quit couple years ago, the average hourly was about 39, 39.50. And I had three, three part-time girls. I never, ever paid major medical payments for anyone. I live in an affluent community. The average uh, household income is about 115,000. And uh, there were lots of housewives out there whose husbands had full coverage at work or vice versa. Sometimes the women had, you know, when the husbands are at home, but usually someone had major medical insurance. I never paid that. That can be a huge expense. I never paid, with the exception of the first maybe five years in business, that my last 25 years, I paid no dollars for advertising whatsoever. This over again, and I'm emphatic about this, I got fat and lazy, and I, I didn't need to do it. I told myself I didn't need to do it, but in reality, you do need to do it. Peter, if I had to do it over again, I would absolutely ask my patients for referrals. I would mm-hmm. absolutely do that. Another thing that that I had was one office my whole career, and God only knows, everyone knows what either relocation costs or startup costs are. So I never yeah. had to, I never had to reincur that initial you know, nut that I had to make for the first few years. And once I had that paid off, boy, it was, you know, I look at it this way. Take, just do the simple math. This is really, this should be meaningful to everyone. Let's just call it 700,000. Roger Levin says the average practice does 770. Now, I think it's slightly inflated because he tends to talk to folks that are doing a little bit better than maybe the the median. But let's just say, let's just say even at, even at 60, 65% overhead, Okay, you know, take 22% of of 700,000 
which we were doing. And that's a pretty good number. And I was saving about two thirds of that every year. So um, it adds up, you know, and, and the thing that decreased my stress every year, Peter, there's no greater stress reliever than seeing that money that you plow into your, you know, your portfolio and to see it appreciate every year and see it grow and grow and, 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 and see the light at the end of the tunnel and go, hey, I think I can get from here to there. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Hopefully, by now, we're delivering tremendous value to your practice operations. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Also, don't forget to give us a review in iTunes and let us know how we're doing. Thank you so much. Now, back to the show. That's great advice because you honestly, when you're in the trenches and you think, gosh, I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm sometimes, you know, I get, I get through a long day and I'm like, I'm not sure how much longer I can do this dentistry. You know, I tell people, you know, my friends and stuff, I'm like, dentistry is a hard profession, not only sure. physically, but just demanding, demanding because they always say like, oh, dentists only work four days a week. And I say, you guys, it's physically and mentally exhausting. It, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So there are days you get out and, you know, so to back to your point about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, the more you can plow in, you know, it becomes, um, yeah, the light at the end of the tunnel is, is encouraging and wow. Yeah. You're, you're giving me some, some good, some good insight here. What advice were you done with the, were you done with the, uh, the advice to your, to a buddy? The 70%. Well, I'm guessing the guy that has a 70% overhead has a fairly large office with a large number of chairs. For me, that would be that would be, you know, like I said, 20, 22 to 2,500 square feet or more and six to seven chairs or more. And then, you know, then usually a practice that big has the gentleman that bought my practice, use it as a, a, a side, uh, you know, secondary practice. He had 15 employees at his uh, three dentist other practice here in the suburbs. So I was a really small operation. But someone who has that, it's really, really tough, Peter, because you know, I've touched on some of those things. Try to eliminate the holes in your schedule and, and literally ask people to move. Some people will not be able to do that. But if you, if you find the gumption to do that, I put a pencil to that. And, and I mean this sincerely. I promise you. For years and years, that put $10,000 net cash in my pocket every year. I can promise you that. Just from moving people and, and con- consolidating your schedule. But it's it's hard to do when you've got a big operation. And, and I, I guess maybe, maybe a question that you might be thinking of is, can you ever go from 70% overhead to... 50. Absolutely not. Not not in five lifetimes. That will never happen. You you, you can never get from here to there if you have a, a huge operation and you have that many people that you're paying. It won't happen. I think but ha- having said that, Peter, if you just implement some ideas and save 5%, even 5% of Let's say seven hundred. That's thirty five thousand. And if you sock that away, that's the next thing. Is uh, you know you got to save it. You got to. You first you have to make it. Then you have to save it. And then you have to keep it. Okay. Mm-hmm. By keeping it, I mean there are a lot of silly things that guys do in the stock market. But uh, like 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 sell when the market crashes. And, and a lot of folks did do that. A lot of folks sell. And you can't sell a loser. You know. So there's a, there's a lot of philosophy behind hanging on to your money. 
But um, I, I think, and, and you asked me another question, and I can probably answer that in a better way. You asked me about what advice I would give to young people. And I would, my advice to younger people, especially in this day and age where there's so many PPOs and it's so much harder to get people in the office, I would say, honest to God, just start modestly. I started modestly and never wanted to get any bigger because at the time, Peter, you asked me about this too, when I when, might I have bought my own office? Well, first of all, I talked about five guys who built out their offices and every single one of them said the cost overruns were 50 to 80% more than projected. You know, I went into it, spend, wanted to spend 400, I ended up spending 650 or numbers. That was years ago. That numbers are even higher than that now. But I would say start modestly, live at home for a couple, three years if you can. Live at home, pay down your debts, don't buy new cars, don't buy new condos. And try, I've, I've talked to more than a couple people that I'd say try the best you can to find a place where you can make you know, 120 to 140,000. Cause I've talked to a couple young folks that are making that. If you can make $140,000 a year, you know, a couple new grads, th- you're saying, right? New grads. Yeah. A couple, couple, three years out of school. Hey, you can, you can make a real dent in your debt, but when you mm-hmm. do start my advice, and this isn't for everybody, some, some people have to have the huge office and a lot of chairs. My advice would be to start modestly. And as I said, I stayed modest. So uh, let me think. Besides that, well, again, it's it's very easy to give away the store, Peter, pay everybody's major medical. Doug Carlson from uh, Dental Dentaltown, he and I gave a seminar out in Colorado about a year ago, and we asked a bunch of questions, and, and a lot of guys were paying their major medical, and I said, you know, I mean, I understand. Yeah, insurance for their team, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And, okay. and that's, that's all well and good, but it's money out of your pocket. It's a dying perk, really. They're paying less. Than, years ago, there were guys who were paying 100% of it. Now they're paying 50% or even 25%. But whatever you're paying for it, it, it it's huge. And, and the other thing, too, if your personal lifestyle, Peter, dictates that you cannot fully fund your profit sharing or 401k plan, that is your single biggest detriment in not getting from here to retirement. And that was the thing that that was what helped me to get there because uh, I had streamlined my personal spending in line with saving, always saving 20%. And I told my wife and she, she bought into the program, thankfully. And I said, we're going to pay ourselves first, you know, via the private sharing 401k plan and save that money. And what, and you know what, Here, here's, here's the fun part, Peter. Once you save 20% of your income, how you spend the rest doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, it's all free. I mean, it's all freebies. You can you can spend you can you can spend freely is what I'm trying to say, you know, well, because you've got your savings under control. Once you've earmarked 20%, you can spend the rest any way you want to. But your yes. wife liked to hear that, didn't she? She just trusted that I knew what I was doing. <laughs> right. So, uh, it worked out. So that that is good advice for for a young dentist, you know, and because I, you know, I speak to dentists and dental schools and it's and, you know, the debt that they're getting out with in terms of just school debt is daunting, is daunting. I mean, you know, I talked to some the other day. It was they were he was at four hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And man, I mean, that really changes, you know, if you're going to make a dent into, you know, that kind of debt, it, it's it's hard to pay off for sure over time. I mean, you're going to have big debt service every month. So back to what you're saying about, you know, resist the temptation to go big and get into more debt before you've piled your, before you've gotten your way out of, uh, 
you know, you've dug your way out of the debt you're already in. You know what? I, I feel compelled to make this comment. I think a lot of Pete Ackerman, he, he's the guy that sold my business. I sat with Pete Ackerman in 2003, and he did an office appraisal for me. And he pointed out that I had, my accounting fee was too high. And he said, take a look at this, it's too high. My accountant had become my friend, and my friend was overcharging me. Why? Because he could. And um, I ended up letting him go. But that was my one fee that Pete Ackerman said was out of line. And he told me at the end of my appraisal, he said, he said, dentists today are being sold a bill of goods. And he said the first thing was that bigger is better. And he said the second one was that everybody has to have a boutique practice. And has that not come to fruition? I mean, boutique practices as Roger Levin stated, really died during the during the downturn since, again, what they call the Great Recession. And boutique practices were hurt more than any other type of business. And Peter Ackerman also said to me, he said, I got a client right now that's doing a million dollars and taking home 150. And I said, you know what I said to that? I said, shoot me. Yeah. Because, because you talk about adding stress to your life. Who would like to see $850,000 of, of a million walk out the door? You know, not me. And expenses. Yeah. I think that's insane. Yeah, that's, that's, that that's is hard. That's what's that, going on out there. Now, again, to answer your question, 70% overhead. If you really want the, the true answer to that, you might have to change offices. You might have to sell your mm -hmm. business and start over. I don't know. I don't know how you, you can't get out from that kind of overhead. You can let people go. Those types of offices probably have one or maybe even two employees that they really don't need, and you're paying all the benefits and everything else for them. You're probably freely ordering supplies. I was, you know, I, I don't even like to use the word frugal, uh, Peter. I like to think, and, and, and it's a word that I really like, and, and, and I feel it's the way I, I operated. I was efficient, and I think that's, that's Did the you word. you do the ordering? Dick, uh, I did didn't. You do a lot I of the didn't. Ordering? I did not do the ordering of supplies, Peter. But I checked. Uh -huh. I checked everything that was ordered, and they they knew I was looking over their shoulder. So we didn't. What have... was your parameter? What, where were you? Just so I can get some some numbers on you kind know, of like where were you in terms of like a comfortable supply budget percentage wise of revenue? I'll tell you exactly. I got my uh, last uh, statement of revenue expenses right in front of me. Supplies. My supplies were three point two one percent. Wow, that's super low. Were you a part of a buying group or supplies or anything? No, no. no. As a matter wow. of fact, I used I used to use Patterson Dental. Now, having said that, I'm trying to think. Uh, the other company it wasn't Ben. It wasn't Benco. There was another company. Darby. I forget. Was it Darby? Uh, it wasn't Darby. There, I can't even remember them. Right Shine, Darby Shine. Um, uh, trying to give you give you all of them there that I know. <laughs> But anyway, it was one of it was one of the companies that advertised, "Hey, we're low prices." And I told uh, my my Patterson rep, I said, I said either either meet what they're going to charge me, or you're not going to get any business. And and they agreed to meet their prices. Yep. I, and that is that is good advice. Is the game you can play and kind of you know be, and you know I I like you know I use uh I use a buying club. And so, but, but for that, I shouldn't say a club, it's called Unified Smiles. And, and a guy named Mark Costas turned me on to them when I was at his summit and they've, and they've done well, but I used Darby for that. But what I was able to do once I leveraged that price, just like you're talking about, was actually go back between all the supply houses and say, here's what I'm getting, Can't either beat it, either beat it or I'm going with them. And so, you know, then they would, they would beat it and I could go back to, so it was, it's a game that, that you can play to kind of play people off of each other, which it sounds like you did as well. Kind of saying, Always. Hey, match Always. it or else I'm out of here. Right. Always. And, um, you know, and I like my supply reps of Patterson and, you know, 
Benko and all of them. But, you know, to me, I'm running a business and, and, it, and it's, it'd be irresponsible of me. You know, I, I, like I said, I like them personally, but it'd be irresponsible of me not to continually cut costs on that supply end because there are, there, you know, we talk about trimming the fat. There's only so many places, like you said, there's only so many places you can trim the fat. There's only so many variable costs associated with running your practice. You know, for the most part, salaries are pretty, pretty set, right? But from what you hired them, and usually they tick upwards for for inflation. You well, know, your, your lights and your utilities and all that stuff is stays in line. So there's only you know supplies and labs and you know advertising. Like, those are all variable, and um, you know you can shrink those. So what? Yeah, what are your thoughts on on all that? The the biggest thing is the wages, Peter. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, I have seen even articles that say, you know, as long as you're somewhere under twenty five, twenty six percent, you're okay. Well, I'm like. Again, disagree wholeheartedly. But again, it's all based on this my small operation. If you're paying big rent and you've got big bills because you got six or eight or ten chairs and you got twelve to fifteen employees, that's a whole different ball game. But my expenses, my uh, wage expenses for my employees were always around eighteen percent of mm-hmm. of gross. And that included the profit sharing and 401k. But, you know, because I had low fixed expenses, uh, once I got over 700,000 production, uh, it became pretty easy to stay in the low 40s. And, and you know, one, one, you've, everybody's got their fixed expenses. So if, if you're drowning in fixed expenses and, you're, and your production is not that high, uh, certainly producing more will diminish. Overhead. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. So but warm bodies in those chairs. And make the numbers. That's why I'm I'm really an advocate for a small operation, Peter. And my heart goes out to people that have 75% overhead. I, I, I feel badly that the changes you may have to make to get yourself out from under that are probably drastic. And it may include getting rid of employees. It may include moving to a much less expensive physical space, cutting down chairs, I just don't know because I mean how changing, I mean changing labs, changing supply houses, all of that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't, it may I don't take, think it may take Peter, a number of steps. No, but the, the but the labs and the supply that that's peanuts when compared to the big picture. That's it really is the big picture. It's just like it's just you can anybody can appreciate this. Let's say that you 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 know you you owned a three hundred thousand dollar house and you were doing really well in dentistry and you, and you were doing really well and you went out and bought a eight hundred thousand dollar home well mm-hmm. guess what I mean you don't drive Chevys anymore you're in a neighborhood where everybody drives a Lexus or a Cadillac Escalade and you know I mean that's the kind of neighborhood I live in but everything increases exponentially when you go mm-hmm. to the, from that small operation to that big operation you just bought into a whole different lifestyle and it's different hard joneses. To, different keeping up with the joneses right oh, big <laughs> big time it's hard it's hard to crack that nut it's getting harder and harder my message is is like i said i i was always a small operation and i feel badly that that my message isn't for everyone because uh, there are people that are stuck in, in, in really high overhead and, and, and it's a tough thing to do. It really is. There isn't an I, easy answer. You know, you know what I was, I'm thinking this is I'm listening to you. Cause you know, obviously like you and I spoke before, before recording this is, you know, my practice is obviously much different than what you, than what you had. And I think this is where dentistry is so cool because your, your model was successful for you, right? And obviously dentistry was really good to you because you strategically went after it and you said, I'm going to do three chairs. I'm not going to kill myself, right? And it worked really well 
for you, but it also can work, you know, meaning that, you know, I have, I have over 20 chairs, right, in all of my practices. And dentistry has worked out really well for me. But then the same numbers, meaning that the same numbers, the benchmarks of, of overhead apply to both of us. You know, you, you because of a smaller operation, you were able to, to get down to where you really trim the fat and you were lean and mean. But those, the principles of getting lower and analyzing your numbers was universal. And I think that's what we kind of talked about prior to. But that's why I think dentistry is so cool is because you, you can have so many different models that work, but you got to be strategic in that model, whatever you're in. Well, it behooves you to pay attention to the business part of it, Peter. And you're, you're a shining star in our industry, Peter. And, and there are very few folks that are able to do what you're doing. I was an average Joe. And, and so my numbers are comparable to, you know, the median dentist out there. Um, and I know that I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but you are you are quite the exception to the rule. God bless you for that, and and kudos to you for being so successful. But I'm sure you're very proactive, and just with this podcast, what a service you're doing for everybody out there. Thank but you. Uh, yeah, it it is apples and oranges for sure. But it, but you know, but that doesn't make you know, like I said, it doesn't make it wrong in either either aspect. It's just, it, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, dentistry affords whatever your vision was that it affords. But you, but you still have to run a clean shop across the board, right? You know, um, yeah, Peter, the, the moral of the story is pay attention because there's an awful lot of folks out there that just aren't. When, when my article came out in the, in the Dentaltown magazine, I got a whole lot of phone calls and I was amazed at the questions that I was being asked. And I said to myself, boy, these folks out there really need some help because they really didn't know what they were doing from the business side. And that's why I say, I, I read a, a statistic in one of the magazines within the last year, and it said, basically, the question was something along the lines of, what percent of people out there are really paying attention to the business side of dentistry, Peter? And you know what number that came back at? I was shocked. It said 6%. And that number 6% really rang a bell with me because even years before that, and I don't know if it was Roger Levin's research that said this, but it said, you know how many dentists are able to retire in the same lifestyle that they had while they were working? Guess what? It's the same number, 6%. And I thought, boy, did that hit me between the eyes. And I really think, I think that a lot of folks are not paying attention to the business side of it. A lot of them, I don't know if they're fearful of, they don't want to know how, how inefficient their, their practices are, but that's the thing. Uh, you know, I would preach efficiency. You have to be efficient, especially in today's environment, because uh, you're going to suffer if you're not. Completely agree. And, you know, and, and I think another moral to the story is, you know, kind of what you, tra if you're, what, what's the saying that what you track increases and, yeah. and, and really that kind of goes back to what you're saying, just, just paying attention on a day continual basis, you know, will, will in a sense make your practice healthier just as a byproduct. Don't you agree? Well, absolutely. And, you know, a little bit into the, into the podcast, I referred to a gentleman who along his career got some pretty bad press and got in trouble. Greg Hughes, Sterling Management. I knew him when he was just starting out and they had a program. It was called Management by Statistics. And they were run by Scientologists. And, and for all the negative ink that Scientologists take, and, and I'm not a proponent in any way, shape or form. Having said that, they had some precepts that were pretty valuable. And I learned from them. And uh, 
they're like, yes, you have to track your numbers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because otherwise, you know, it's like it's like someone wanting you to build them a big house and without any blueprints. You know, how are we going to get from here to there? You got to have the blueprints. You got to know how to get from here to there. Completely agree. You know, it's like getting in the car without, you know, not knowing where to go. You've got to set your GPS. Right, <laughs> same right. Kind of, same kind of thing. You know, right. and, and I think, you know, talking about the business aspect, you know, that's where, and, and everybody, this kind of, it's kind of the running joke between amongst dental schools is that we get no business experience coming out of dental school, but are expected to run businesses as a cottage industry. We're expected to run a business. Business, but yet we get no we get no business experience. So where did you where did you get a lot of your you know you've, you're obviously very savvy with your business experience at this point. Where did you get where did you learn that from? I just read everything I can. I I, I wasn't mm-hmm. remotely interested in the clinical side of reading. I I read everything about business and and like I said before, Dental Economics magazine and they were they were around before Dental Town was even uh, Howard Ferran and and Dental Town were even on the map on the radar. So. But now my two my two dental economics forever, and now I mm-hmm. read Dental Town Dental Town all the time, and basically there anything that re- was related to business, especially den- dental business, I just read. I just I, I, I kind of self educated. Uh, it was it's no big secret really. But I, I I always paid attention, and that's what a lot of folks are not doing. Yep, that's kind of that's kind of me. I've been an avid reader, and you know, and made made a lot of mistakes along the way, and had expensive learning lessons. But you have to stay committed to the the learning of the business side of it for sure. Just like well, you learning know, of the clinical. You know, you know, what, really no you know what, Peter? I I have a a big issue with the fact that you know they're saying you you should apportion. I mean, a huge percent of your of your money toward advertising. I didn't spend anything on advertising the last 25 years of my business. And like I said, though, the one thing I, I would I would routinely ask if I had it to do over again, everybody listen to this, ask for new patients. You know, I was, I, I don't want to say I was too, I was somewhat shy and, and doing big enough numbers that I felt like I didn't have to. Well, that's a wrong attitude, quite honestly. And if I, like I said, if I could do it over again, I'd have made more money if I had asked for referrals. And 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 so, in other words, what, what they call in-house advertising, I would do, mm-hmm. I would do a whole lot more of that. I still wouldn't advertise outside. I still wouldn't. You'd, all your advertising would be internal, either asking for referrals yes. or family and friends. Yeah. And that's, you know, that is by far the cheapest and, and best ROI, you know, in advertising for Absolute, sure. Absolutely. So yeah, that's something you would have done in hindsight more of, right? That's, that's cool. Well, Dick, you've given me, you know, you know, you and I, we talked about, you know, when you go to seminars, we look for, for pearls and you've given, you've given me lots of pearls here for this recording and I appreciate it. And I know people are going to get a lot of value from kind of seeing, seeing, you know, 43% overhead and what that looks like and, and, you know, some tips on how to possibly achieve that or at least strive for it. So I thank you so much for your time and contributing to the dental industry as a whole. I think it's retiring. I know I took time out of your your retired schedule and you're chilling and doing all sorts of all sorts of fun stuff that that I was jealous of when I we talked prior to. So I thank you for taking time out of your day and um, appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, Peter. You know whatever I can do to help. If you see 
interest generated where where we need to do this again or have another session questions that are unanswered i'd be more than happy to talk to you again cool and if someone wanted to get in touch with you would are you okay with me putting your email in in you know, um... yes and, and and you have my new email the old email which was in the article i mean you, you can still get a hold of me that way that that's now my wife's my wife's i'll email. put that in the show notes if someone has some follow-up questions and i uh yeah, that's great. Thank you for thank you for that offer as well. Absolutely, Peter. It's been a pleasure talking to you. 